Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, our text today is Psalm 136. And uh, the text requires us uh, not to be a downer, but to recognize the bleak reality that all of our lives are full of examples of love that does not last. I would even hypothesize that no love lasts. This is a very simple example, but uh, what was your favorite food when you were a child? There's a good chance that your love for Skittles has now changed. How long-lasting was your love for your spouse or kids or parents the last time you were in a car for longer than three hours? In my uh, lifetime, uh, how many boyfriends or girlfriends have you had in your life? On a more grim note, it's very grim, Sorry to do this to you, but someone sitting at at dinner today, someone sitting at your table will live long enough to see every other person sitting there die. Disney is wrong. Love does not last. At least this is what our experience of a life void of God would tell us. So honestly, the odds seem stacked against God when he claims that his love lasts. And it begs us to ask the question, how can I know that God's love lasts when no other love does? How can I know that God's love lasts when no other love does? So we're going to read Psalm 136 to discern some of the answers. And uh, commentaries pointed out that this psalm, which was sung, was likely a call and response. And it might sound a bit repetitive, but I would, I would invite you to join me in my zeal uh, to see God's word bring healing to your and to my life. Um, so let us all trust the psalmist by entering into a repetitive call and response. So after I read each phrase, If you would, please respond by saying, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's just one line, and uh, don't worry. If you don't have it now, you'll have it by the end. (laughs) Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the heavens. To him who... 
Verse 7, I apologize. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. Halfway, stay with me. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servants. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Church, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. God, our Father, it is not a mistake that we repeated this phrase 26 times. Lord, it is a testimony first of our lack of faith in this truth. But Lord, it is also a testimony second that it is true. That your steadfast love does endure forever. So God, I ask and pray that it might be cemented even more in our hearts and that we might, in response, give thanks to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So how can I know God's love lasts when no other love does? Well, repeating a verse 26 times may help, but we find our first answer in verses 1 through 9. So in a recent sermon, Ron Young preached a few weeks back he, uh, he explained that there are two types of ways that Scripture talks about God, right? There is declarative and there's descriptive. And I love those categories. I, I want us to keep using them. So if you recall, declarative ways of explaining things are statements, right? Ice cream is awesome. I'm declaring something that is true. But descriptive statements are more storied and more experiential. I had a bite of ice cream the other night, like I always do, and this particular bite was the perfect balance of textural bliss as the creamy, smooth, cold elements all came together in my mouth, only to be complemented by the contrast of the cookie dough bringing in a wave of salty, chewy goodness. It's descriptive. And the psalmist here uses declarative language for the first four verses and then descriptive language for the following 24. So he says in verses 1 through 4, though, 
God is good. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. And he alone does great wonders. And I could go into detail about what each of these declarative statements mean, but the psalmist uses descriptive language in the following verses to tell us how God is good, how he is the God of gods, how he is the Lord of lords, and does great wonders. So firstly, how he is these things. Verse 5 says he made the heavens. And context tells us the psalmist is actually talking about the heavens where the sun and the stars are. We know this because the rest of the verses, 6 through 9, continue to talk uh, about the nature, uh, talk about nature in general, and objects in the sky. It is God who spread out the earth above the waters. It is he who made the lights, he who made the sun, he who made the moon and the stars. These acts describe and show God's infinite and unchanging power to accomplish all he desires. Whatever projects or things he put his mind to, these acts describe and reflect this. So what, what was your last project? What was your last house project? How many times did you have to go to the hardware store to finish it? Anyone who has ever had to cook on a regular basis How often do you have to run out to the store to grab that one extra ingredient you forgot? Or you type into Google real quick, what is a substitute for brown sugar? Right? It's molasses and sugar, I think, by the way. And I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times I've begun to fight the sinful battle of my impatience behind the wheel of a car. Right? I I have to restart this endeavor at least once a year. While we may know intellectually that God is not like humans and that he would never forget the right size screw or the right ingredient at the store like molasses, experientially, this is foreign to us. It's difficult to fathom and comprehend this kind of reliability. We as humans are finite in power. It's all that we know. Limited in what we can and can't do. Thus, by nature, our steadfast love, by our broken nature, our our love cannot endure forever. God is nothing like this. Our psalm tells us that no other God or Lord or person can do what God does. And once again, we know this intellectually, but it's experientially where we find this lacking. He creates and it is made. He decides and it is done. It makes him God of gods. It testifies that he is Lord of lords. It it shows us that he alone does great wonders. No one else can accomplish what God has done and is able to do. So how can I know that God's love lasts when no other love does? Because he is God of gods and Lord of lords. He's different in this way. Space has always fascinated me. Don't even get me started on black holes, unless you want to grab me after the service. But, what, uh, but speaking of the sun, which our, our text tells us in space, it's referenced in verse 8, one million earths could fit inside the sun. It is that large. And the core of the sun is estimated to be 27 million degrees Fahrenheit and is constantly driven by nuclear reactions. So to match this kind of energy... We would need to explode 100 billion tons of dynamite every second. 
So given the great size and degree of energy, it is estimated that the sun will continue to give off energy for 5 billion more years. And yet, even this one day will fade. After those 5 billion years have passed, scientists believe that it will swell to be a big red giant. It will shed off. If, uh, when more time will pass, it will shed off those layers and it will collapse in upon itself, become a white dwarf that will fade into non-existence. And the sun is likely one of the most constant things in our lives we could ever consider. But even the sun, the most constant thing, is still not as constant as God's love. In this way, the sun testifies to God's infinite steadfast love for whatever. Great wonders he has done, this God of gods. Probably none of you sitting here today went to bed last night even questioning that the sun would rise. I've, I mean, we've all had that concept thrown out to us. But few of us have ever genuinely questioned this. But how often have you questioned God's love? Which the psalm tells us is more enduring, more steadfast. It's a testimony of his nature, of his love. This psalm displays God's steadfast love enduring to you and I as the God of gods. The Son testifies to his nature of the Lord of lords. And it is in this context that the psalmist offers to us our application. Give thanks to the Lord. He cries this out for the first three verses of our psalm. And then he ends verse 26 with the same note. Give thanks to the Lord. So I'm going to do this now. Let us do, let us do this now as a church by reading verse 1 together. Offering our thanks to God. Let's actively take part and apply actively as each other right now. So read verse 1 with me and please do so with a spirit of thanksgiving. Let us not do it monotone voice. We're, we're giving thanks to our God. Here we go. Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Church, this upcoming week, take time in your drive to listen to a song that offers thanks to God. Take time in your time of quiet time to read through this psalm. Before dinner, go around the table and have each person give thanks for one thing in their life or in the day, even though it's not Thanksgiving. It's not November. But above all, please seriously consider how unfading and how unmovable God's love is for you. Look at the things in your life whether it's the stars, your favorite t-shirt, a reliable kitchen utensil, or a loved one, and see his creating hand testify to his enduring steadfast love. Have hope in the face of whatever you are facing in this moment, because surely there are many of you here in trials that are casting doubt upon his steadfast nature. That nothing can strip away God's love for you. How can I know God's love lasts when no other love does? He is God of gods and Lord of lords. One may challenge this, however, reasonably so, and say that, well, he may be infinite in his ability to love, and these, these objects may testify to his uh, infinite power to love, but this does not prove that he is loving. And while I, I believe our previous section could answer that challenge, that reasonable challenge, the remaining verses actually do so very beautifully. So if we look closely at verses 10 through 16, 
you'll notice that they all have to do with God's mighty acts in the exodus of Israel. Right? He struck the firstborn. He brought out Israel. He divided the Red Sea. He overthrew Pharaoh and brought them out of the wilderness. The retelling of this story of the exodus for the Israelite Jews was similar to us today telling the story of the gospel, of what Christ has done. It is the Old Testament testimony of God saving and great acts for his people to rescue them out of slavery. And then 17 through 22 goes on to tell a lesser known part of Israel's story, but it's actually also from the book of Exodus describing God's victory over the enemies of Israel, Sihon and Og, which, by the way, Rondelay and I are considering for the baby of our next child. Um, But these verses, verses 10 through 25, are actually some of my favorites in this passage. It is here that the psalmist says to us, do you want to know how God greatly shows his steadfast love? Do you want to know what can stir your heart to swell in thanksgiving and joy over the love God has shown you? I mean, I want to know that. So often my heart just feels like it's, it's just not awake and alive to the reality of his deep love for me. So yes, I want to know. And the psalmist tells us, not only do we look to the fact that he's God of God and Lord of Lords, we look to the story. We look to the story. Because it is... Because it is in the story that the psalmist tells us that with great rejoicing, we can see that his steadfast love endures forever. Do you see what God has done? He rescued his people from the chains of slavery and brought them through the wilderness. Christian ethicist Stanley Hauervoss put it this way. I think we have this uh, quote for you. My contention is that the narrative character of Christian conviction, he was an ethicist, is neither incidental nor accidental to Christian belief. A lot of big words, but he goes on to explain it. There is no more fundamental way to talk of God than in a story. The fact that we come to know God through the recounting of the story of Israel and the life of Jesus is decisive for our truthful understanding of the kind of God we worship as well as the world in which we exist. Do you see see what he's saying there? It tells us not only about the God in whom we worship and serve, but it also tells us about the world we live in. How can I know God's love lasts when no other love does? The story tells me so. That's why we sang Jesus loves me today. The Bible tells me so, right? And it is both the Bible story, but it's also your story tells me so. I have no doubt in my mind that my wife loves me. For uh, an example of a story of her forgiveness for me, one time earlier in our marriage, you guys are never going to let me drive your cars if I keep preaching because all my stories where I do something really bad is about a car. But one time earlier in my marriage, I got from home, I parked my car and started walking towards our apartments. And right as I pass Rondelay's car on my right, I hear this terrible smashing sound right behind me. I spin around to see that my car had rolled backwards out of the garage and smashed into my wife's car. Panicked and frankly embarrassed, I, I, I quickly look around, because I'm very embarrassed, and I see both her bumper and my bumper are popped out of the frame, right? 
Uh, and so, but there's not really not too much other damage beyond that. <clears throat> so I quickly pop bump, both bumpers back in. I turn my car back on. I drive into the garage. I crank the e-brake on max. And then I, uh, I, 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 I walk upstairs, walk into the room. I say to Rondelay, hi, love, how was your day? <laughs> I don't tell her what happened. I was too embarrassed, and I didn't want her angry with me, right? The next day, <laughs> the next day I get a text from Rondelay, hey, I think someone hit my car. My bumper keeps flapping out in the wind. We all see those people on the highway where they're like, that was my wife's car one day. Anyways. So she gets home from work, and I have to, I forget, I don't know what I texted back to her, but she gets home from work, and I, in that moment, I confess to her what happened. And she starts laughing, but then she turns serious and says, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? In the end, Rondelay forgave me, both for lying to her and for smashing our cars into each other. But when times come that she may doubt me, excuse me, when times come that I may doubt that she loves me, I can remember stories like these where she, she forgives me for really dumb things or for lying to her. I can remember the story of her saying to me, you know, I think you should get a new guitar. I mean, for, for, for me, that's a big love, love language, right? I can remember the story of her leaving friends and family and home to follow me to go to St. Louis. I can remember the story of the day she made a vow to love me no matter what. Just as I can be sure of my wife's love because of our story, you can be sure of God's love for you will never fade because of the story. Both the Bible story and the story of your own life. Jacob's well, to grow in your assurance that God's love will last when no other love will, consider the story. First, your own. Recall the countless testimonies of your life of God's love. We all have those unique testimonies. Mothers, fathers, God has given you a unique testimony of seeing God's love in your own story different from anyone else. What does that story of love look like? Musicians, artists, sports enthusiasts, God has given you a unique testimony of seeing God's love in your own story different from anyone else. What does that story of love look like? Students, servants, widows, orphans, bosses, rich, poor, what does that story of love look like? And not only must you look to your own story, but also to the story found in Scripture, the story the Bible gives us. And here's what I love about the Bible. All of the Bible is either telling the story, explaining the story, or pointing to the story. When it speaks of Israel being free, as we read in Psalm 136, it is a story of God's love for your people, your kinsmen from history, church of God, as it is a story of the people of God being set free. When Paul writes to, uh, of God's greatness to the church of Philippi in chapter 2, He is expanding on the story. He's expanding on the story of the loving work of Christ he has done coming to earth to love and die. Proverbs speaks as a father's love to a child, how to live wisely as God's people in the story. 
All of, all of Scripture is either telling it, explaining it, or pointing to it. Consider also the greatest story Scripture has to tell us. God sending his son to live, to die, and to be raised from the dead in victory over sin and death. One writer put it this way, Christians, the primary audience of a sermon, it was the writer was speaking of sermons, um, Christians, the primary audience of a sermon, are not saved by theoretical evidence or reason, but by a God who entered our created world, the space in which you and I are living now. He became human. He dwelt among us. He lived in history and lives as part of the grand story of which we are a part. As members of the body of Christ, we are people of the story. That which resonates most within us is a storied reality. Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago to reconcile our lives to the creator of the universe. We live in this historical reality. Reason, evidence, facts, they play vital roles in that story and give it understanding. But they are the supporting actors to the main characters in this epic of God and his people. John 15, 13 says, No greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life. We have the testimony of God's love in our history. How can I know God's love lasts when no other love does? The story tells me so. Philip Greenslade summarized it well and concludes by saying the following. Through believing this story, we are drawn into the action and find ourselves caught up in the saving movement of God. We learn to indwell the story, so looking out from within the biblical world with new eyes onto our postmodern world and lives. And we stop trying to make the Bible relevant to our lives and instead begin to find ourselves being made relevant to the Bible. We give up the cleansy attempt to wrench the ancient text into our contemporary world. Instead, bring our world back into collision with and cleansing by the strange new world of the Bible. Through believing the story, we allow our minds to be continuously renewed by the normative narrative of God. Psalm 136 is a part of God's story of love for you and me. This particular part of Scripture tells us we can know that he loves us because he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and because the story tells us so. Let's pray. God, our Father, stir in our hearts to recall and to be made aware, God, of how you are different from us, Lord, not just through our head knowledge, Lord, but tangibly, experientially. You do not fail. You do not falter, God, in your character as God of gods. You guide us and love us. You know us. And you are infallible. God, may this testify to your love for us in the coming week. Just as we ask and pray, God, that we can also allow the testimony of our own story and the testimony of Scripture to stir our affections for you to bring to mind the reality and the truth that your steadfast love endures forever. We pray this in your name. Amen.